Hey listeners, my name is Kara Jones and you are listening to the Biggest Gun Podcast. One nation, one tribe. This podcast is produced on Treaty 8 territory, the traditional territories of the many First Nation, Métis, and Inuit. We would like to express our gratitude and respect for this land and all those who reside here both past and present. We are all treaty people, one nation, one tribe. When I lived in Grand Prairie from 2014 to 2018, I was really lucky to work as the Youth Services Supervisor for the municipality. As part of my role, I was responsible for facilitating the City Youth Council, which was a group of 24 young people with direct access to the City Council as advocates for youth voices. From mental health to recreation and the rights and freedoms of 2SLGBTQ youth in Alberta, these youth were part of the decision-making processes that directly impacted their diverse population. I'm sharing this because this episode was a special one for me. After five years, I had the opportunity to sit down with three former youth council members who are not only a part of this podcast initiative, but are now adults. Matthew Hilkowicz is 21 years old and a proud trans mentor and youth advocate. I met Matthew when they were about 13 years old, as we were getting ready to board a plane to Toronto, where we were both attending the same Gender and Sexuality Alliance Conference. In those first few minutes of meeting Matthew, I definitely saw his leadership qualities, and I knew he was meant to change lives, and he has. I met Rayleigh Morissette when they were both 13 years old through her dad, Len, an award-winning Indigenous filmmaker. I scooped up Rayleigh to be part of the Youth Council, and her sense of humor and genuine compassion for people is a leadership style that makes an impact. Now 20 years old, Rayleigh continues to inspire me, and I can't thank her enough for being part of this experience and sharing her story with the podcast. Natal Bolaños was part of my first Youth Council cohort in 2014. Now 29 years old and the founder of Bipan Support Services and Bipan Magazine, which is a free queer media and a place to experience representation and embrace the queer community, Natal is an incredible facilitator. And they led today's podcast discussion on intersectionality. What is it? Why is it essential? And how do we identify lenses through which we experience it? Well, we are here at our local friendship center. Um, and the staff actually have a wellness room here, which you guys saw has like the yoga mats and all the exercise equipment. I think there's even like tarot cards in there. There's <laughs> medicine. A spiral staircase. There's like gorgeous spiral staircase. Yeah, it's, a it's really... like the castle stairs that I always wanted when I was little. Exactly. Yeah, gorgeous space. So Kara and I, um, I came upstairs and they were in um... Shavasana. Exactly. Yes. Um and like the lights were dimmed. <laughs> they, have, they have twinkle lights in there, actually. Yep. Um, it's a vibe for sure. Um, so we are all very zen and ready. Um, yeah, to discuss intersectionality. Light topic. <laughs> I am not educated on the topic. And that's when Natal's going to fill in. Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> okay, so here, let me read the definition of what intersectionality is. So intersectionality is acknowledgement that everyone has their own unique experiences of discrimination and oppression. So we must first consider everything and anything that can marginalize people, such as gender, race, class, um, 
sexual orientation and physical ability and of course, et cetera. I'm going to ask you the first question. What is it that made you want to pick that for us to talk about? Um, I think um, Rayleigh has the perfect um, answer to that because they quite literally don't even know what it means. So I think it's like important um, that we even talk about it to even like acknowledge it um, because it's like almost like a buzzword. It's like what intersectional is- feminism. <laughs> that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I feel like it's a word that gets like thrown out a lot too. Like around people are like, oh, it's important to be like inclusive and intersectional within representation and things like that. Like it's very tossed around. So yeah, let's actually dive into it and figure out what does it actually mean. And like because I guess like another thing with being in the world is um, realizing that intersectionality often means different things to different people. What does what would it mean to you, Matt? Well, I knew it as the textbook definition that you gave. But are we talking like personally? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, no, totally. Uh I'm a white man, so that gives me a whole lot of privilege. But I am also transgender, pansexual, and was brought up in a very low income household. So it's the more visible stuff I'm privileged with, but I do have my own disadvantages and oppression in really only things that me or close people to me see and acknowledge yours better be really good now (laughs) no pressure yeah that was actually pressure (laughs) um for you you talked to me about this actually not that long ago yeah i don't know why that like term is like catching me so off guard like the actual term for it you were explaining to me how you were talking about your experience in high school um yeah talk about that a little bit uh just like growing up as a mixed kid Mm. so i am a queer indigenous but um i definitely don't look like it the german really came through (laughs) my sisters have all that brown skin (laughs) but uh as a kid like i'd run into um i would run into people where they would find out that I'm indigenous and all of a sudden they would have these ideas about me already when before they were super cool with me thinking that I was white and then they'd spit a bunch of facts about myself that I was supposed to know or I guess quote unquote facts and I would just have to sit there and be like where why is there a switch up we were cool and now all of a sudden you're being racist can I ask a question about that actually? Yeah, sure. So my brother-in-law, he's also ha- he is half indigenous and he struggles with being not indigenous enough but not white enough. Have you ever dealt with that or is that just kind of something that plays down because you present more Caucasian even though you're not? Hmm, that's actually a really good question. Um I guess I've definitely run into the thought process where I've thought like oh, like, I look so white, like, what am I doing doing this? Or, like, when I was little, like, my my parents were very, like, they, they taught me things, but at the same time, like, he wasn't, like, my dad wasn't as involved as he was with the culture until I was about seven. So, I don't know, I definitely would run into things where I felt a little uncomfortable, I guess. Maybe that's not the word, but I think disconnected is a better word for it, where I didn't know where to really fit in because I looked white, but I had something. And I think that, you know, having that intersectionality, that experience and sharing that is like nobody would know. Yeah. 
right? That you were having that experience. That happens a lot. Yeah. Where it's like, I, I have so many memories like that as a child where I was like, oh, I was experiencing racism, preconceived notions. What is that like? Uh, it's kind of like a bit of a pit in your stomach. Like you're kind of like, Whoa, like, oh God, yikes. It's like almost like that cringy, like kind of feeling you're like, ooh. Kind of like your skin's kind of like, Ugh. Yeah. Like, pull like, into yourself. Yeah. It's gross. Like, really gross. The intersectionally I was speaking about with Natal the other day was, you know, I am a white woman and experienced that, you know, privilege of that, but having disabilities was one that I've experienced the prejudice of that and the discrimination of that. And it's that uck feeling that you're like not the same, but just when you're finding out that they don't want to hire you because they found out you had a disability or they don't want you to be there because there you have this disability and you're young and you're like, what do you mean? It's almost what? as if you're not allowed to be dis- disabled when you're young. Like, I just turned 21 and I have been chronically mentally and physically disabled since I was 16 and going into jobs and basically having a form from the government saying, hey, he can't do this because of X, X, and X. They're like, but you're young. You're not like basically like you can't be or you shouldn't be. It's like, well, I know I shouldn't be, but I am. It's like, it's, you're not allowed to have certain things because of age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's like really hard to find accommodations because people are like, well, you look able bodied or like, but you're so young. How could you be chronically ill? And it's like, excuse me. <laughs> but too, because having mainly mental disabilities and trying to get support or anything, they're like, well, you can move and you can read and write, so you're fine. Like, I was told that a couple of years Very back. Very often have to prove that you're dis- disabled, like, especially if you have a cognitive disability. I have a tick disorder, and I wasn't allowed to drive until April of last year. And then I'd be like, well, why aren't you driving? You're 20. I legally can't. Oh, you look fine. Yeah, I look fine. Doesn't mean I'm not. It doesn't mean I am. Yeah, I went through the same thing with epilepsy. I didn't even get my... I didn't get mine, I don't think, till I was 30, <laughs> you know, because. Yeah, I'm on the spectrum and I didn't get my driver's license until I was 23. Yeah. And I like took me a while to get my learners too. do you think we're more self-aware too because of those things? Or do you think it's because they said no? <laughs> or did they say no? <laughs> like with me and the driver's license thing, like I went in at 14. I was like, I'm taking my learner's test. And then they asked to see my ID and it had the little, basically, it's almost like a caution marking, but it was. I was a legal liability. And so since then, it's been like, if I think of doing anything in my life, it's like, can I? Or is my tics going to get in the way? Is my, like, are my vocal, like, anything like that going to stop me from doing what I want? And I didn't really notice that until I was one older and started working with people younger than me with the same kind of things. Because seeing something wrong happen from an outside perspective is a lot clearer than inside. It's probably why a lot of people will defend people, like their friends or their family, but the same things happen to them. They're like, well, I could see how I caused it. I couldn't help but think when you brought up intersectionality, it made me think of when we had spoken with us earlier, but like when people go, I don't see color, I'm colorblind. That's so harmful. It's so harmful. So they're listening out there right now. Hello. <laughs> yeah, hello. Hi. Don't be afraid. 
No, don't be afraid. You're allowed to see color. You're allowed to acknowledge the amount of melanin that someone has. <laughs> and there's a, it must be because they think that they're racist. I think people don't actually know what racism means. A lot of people don't know the full spectrum of it. Exactly. Like a lot of people could think it's just slurs or straight up like acts of racism. Yeah. Look at the color, acknowledge it, accept it, celebrate it, but don't treat us differently. Not us, because I'm white, but anyone else who's not. You're allowed to notice differences in people. It's what makes us us. Exactly. And also by like not acknowledging people's differences, you're also like contributing to the ongoing erasure. Yeah, exactly. Like we should be embracing cultures and different people with different backgrounds because that's how we celebrate and be united. Right. I'm seeing this a lot on TikTok right now with the banning box thing in the States, you know, when the younger people are coming forward going like, you're raising me, you know, and all of the history. And I think it was Tom Hanks I had actually seen speaking about the Tulsa massacre. And they said, why are you so passionate about the Tulsa massacre? And he said, because I didn't know what it was until two years ago and I'm 60 years old. Tell us a little bit about the Tulsa massacre. Also known as the Tulsa race riot or the Black Wall Street massacre. It's essentially a two day long massacre between May 31st to June 1st, 1921. Basically mobs of white residents like went and were like attacking black residents and destroying homes and businesses in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And yeah, over 800 people needed to be hospitalized. And obviously a lot of people. Yeah, Black Wall Street. I remember now, like, yeah, yeah. it was, they were like really rocking it. They were doing incredible things. Yeah. So he was saying, uh, Tom Hanks was that he's 60 years old, loved history study history all the time and only found out two years prior that that was even a thing well because he was studying eurocentric history that's what he was saying exactly but that's incredible because now he's doing the work and he's acknowledging hey i was contributing to this erasure which is like step number one the acknowledgement instead of the oh i don't see it it doesn't exist yeah and there's i i can I definitely know I've contributed. Even if you don't know you're doing it, when you find out you are and you're a part of it. It was like when I found out about white feminism, I had no idea what that was. And that's where intersectional feminism comes in because I didn't understand that it wasn't including. I assumed it was including everyone, but it wasn't. It was created from the white perspective. It's like the awkward conversation I had with my mom and dad. They were, what's a turf? And I was like, oh boy, trans exclusionary radical feminists. And my mom's like, but it's feminism. It's, if that's a lady, it's a lady. You fight for her. My mom was just so dumbfounded about how you could fight for something that's marginalized, but go ahead and marginalize someone else. Like, okay, you feel like you're at a disadvantage because you're a female. Why are you stepping on the trans ladies? Or the non-gender conforming femme presenting people. Why are we stepping on them so you can get up when you're struggling with the same thing? It's true, though, because when I found out about white feminism, I went home and watched a bunch of videos from people who weren't white talking about their experiences with white feminists. And I went, oh, my God, because I didn't realize 
that their experiences were so different from mine, right? I had no idea. Like, it's really a, a whole shift in your complete perception of the world when that unlearning begins. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, am I going to get defensive about this? Am I going to be fragile? You know, the way you respond to it um, is really important. And it seems there's a fixed way of responses, like you're supposed to respond a certain way. I've noticed that a lot, especially, I felt like an old man over here, because of has a social media, but with that, and <laughs> right? Like Twitter, I'm on Twitter all the time. And it's like, you'll see this big debate going up and like share your your opinions in the comments and you look down and it's 95% one opinion, but the 5% that don't have the opinion are being so violently attacked for doing what the poster asked them to. So it's like, if we're going to get information and talk about it, we're going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about your idea of it. And then it becomes a big battle and you just realize you can't really change anyone's mind easily. I've learned is you can't change someone's mind unless they secretly wanted to change in some way. I've talked the willpower to change. It is just a tool, right? Like it, just like we're Chad GTP, everyone's talking about that right now with the open AI software and how right now Chad GPT is the worst it will ever be. So it's like knowing how Facebook became the kind of like how we see how everything starts shifting after that. And then Twitter, then Instagram, everything, everything came social media became like massive, right? And it changed our societies incredibly. So our experiences, I think, because of social media has been influenced how we bringing it back to that intersectionality. It's like, how have these technologies changed the information? I've like my partner lives in a different province than me. And before that would be a task, but she's a text away and then it's, or I can call her video with great quality. Whereas if it was, if I was at this age 10 years ago, it'd be so different. Be like, I'd have to worry about like, oh my God, am I going to like spend all my money just trying to contact my girlfriend? We probably wouldn't have ever met because dating apps weren't big or they didn't even exist. I don't know. Like, has it changed? Has it impacted your relationships or created opportunities? Opportunities? I mean, so our, I grew up in middle school and high school in the toxic part of social media. So like the ED Tumblr and like that like little niche. What's ED Tumblr? Eating disorder Tumblr. Oh, no. Didn't know about that. Yeah. I love how you're looking at me like. Cyberbullying. Yeah, cyberbullying. It was like the aesthetic of like smoking cigarettes. There's like a lot of predators online. Yeah. Grooming was a big thing. Yeah. So you should mention that being a while ago. That's coming. Like everything seems to like circle every 10 years almost because now cigarettes, eating disorders, and stuff like that are now the edgy, cool aesthetic, right? And like, same with um, another thing I've noticed especially with the resurgence of like 80s media, so like Stranger Things and different things like that. Mm -hmm. Stick and poke tattoos and the infections they cause. Yes. Because, oh, well, my like yes. main media would be Stranger Things and Eddie Munson. His mm -hmm. tattoos are canonically all stick and pokes. So you have a younger kid who thinks, oh, I want to be like him, gets like pen ink and a needle, and then they're in the hospital with a skin infection. That or they order something on Amazon. Right? 
the fact you can order tattoo machines on Amazon is insane to me. Just Amazon and fake skin, right? Like <laughs> that makes me also watch social media go from like you being independent and like kind of being able to see everything, but now it's all algorithms. So people like let's just say like somebody that's kind of ignorant or whatever, they're only going to see what they want to see. Yes. They don't see any other outside of the box things. And when they run into it, that's why we run into all those toxic comments. I know when they don't know what an algorithm is. Yeah. But like talking with my older sister, who's three years older than me, and our slight difference in seeing technology and media, she is like, the internet is so cult-like now. It's like the worst version of high school clicks. Like you find your group and then you're sucked into this vortex. And that's all you see constantly. And then you try and branch out and the algorithm's like, what are you doing? This is not what I put you in. I will say that with all of its flaws, there has been a lot of opportunity for people. And even recently, just learning and seeing, like, for example, I think it was the quote I had mentioned before. And although he has a really bad rap at this moment, but like when Will Smith said, um, racism hasn't gotten worse, it's just being filmed. Now everyone has a phone can film it what's been happening to people forever so they're little interactions that are so toxic and racist and disgusting they can now record and and the world is seeing oh my god this is what these people are going through every day like this is disgusting so in some ways i think there are some ways that it's better but then also you get the vigilantism there and the also people can shift that narrative to look what how they want. And and like some filming editing software and cutting things out is so common now. And with AI tech, that couldn't that person that you saw doing that might be a deep fake, not even a real person. Yeah. And like I sound like I'm totally against internet in some ways. I'm like I'm not. I would not be Matthew without the internet, because I found out the word transgender a youtube video of a guy in england so i may have my like now i'm like okay some of these things are not okay i'm going to like chill but also if the internet didn't exist i wouldn't exist that sounds like so gen z like oh my god i need the internet to live no just who i am today would not be a thing i think that goes back to the erasure right because like transgender people have always existed and will continue to always exist yeah it's not like it's a new thing but of course if you live in this cis heteropatriarchy and you engage in this white um western european culture um then yeah the only thing you're going to get on your algorithm is the same culture that's upholding all of that right so yeah no it's important to um hang out in other spaces and hang out with other people and expand your group so that you do get informed. It's like a sad thing that I've noticed is a lot of people don't know about um, like inequality or oppression. That's called privilege. Yes. <laughs> Very much. The privilege is so big and it's They've like... never had to think about it before. It's assumed that if you know about these things, you had a bad life. That's just an assumption that everyone has or mostly everyone has. Prejudice, huh? I mean, the reason that things are erased is because they don't want us to know this information. Because if we don't know to, if we don't know what it is, then we can't be a part of it. Which was literally what Matt was saying. 
he quite literally had no idea that he had the permission to be a trans mask man until he saw it and was like, oh. I was four years old the first time I doubted my gender. And I was like sitting, just hanging out as a child. Like, I'm four. I shouldn't be thinking of these existential things. I'm sitting on my floor with my dog. And in my little brain, I'm just, so I'm not a girl, but I'm not allowed to be a boy. What am I? And that went on until I was 11. So it's like you need permission to be yourself in some aspects. Yeah, you're not even allowed to like like things. Because that same thing with me. I remember my grade six birthday party. I, again, undiagnosed autistic child. Um, what do you want for your birthday? I was like, I want a pair of tidy whities who asks for, like, what little girl asks for a pair of tidy whities for their grade six birthday party to their elementary school friends? One of these kids bought me tidy whities, Spider-Man tidy whities, because that was my favorite Marvel superhero. Um, and I wore those underwear all the time and i was like wow this is so gender euphoric did i have the vocabulary to know that was gender euphoric absolutely not but now as an adult i'm like that's hilarious that queer kid existed <laughs> I had a similar experience is my dad uh my uncle used to be a professional race car driver and so we'd get team shirts and everything but they're dude sizes and so my dad would hand it down to me and my sister as pajama shirts but then when I came out as a guy, he's like, here, have my old shirts to wear to school. And I'm like, but I have like 15 of your old shirts. I just sleep in them. So it's like really weird. Like, wait, hold up. That was euphoria. I really like, I really like that you just said, because that's, that's so true. Like, wow, that's so weird that that queer kid existed. Like, it just because <laughs> now I'm thinking about myself going, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Little Natal was so gay. <laughs> We should, we should have a wrap up of uh, intersectionality. Like, let's bring it back right quick. I think a good wrap up for tonight's session would kind of be each of us given what we learned from today. So, whoever wants to start, I can start if needed. Yeah. So, like, as I came, in, I learned a lot more about intersectionality, even though I already thought I was quite educated. It goes a lot more beyond just the base things, like how we started with race and gender. But then we slowly got into religion and classism and literally where you lived in a town. So it's a lot like it in it envelops a lot of things that everyone struggles with. And it's it's a good thing to make aware of and to acknowledge because everything has good and everything has bad. So intersectionality is like it's nature and it's needed for existence to prosper. Did we all look at Ray? I was literally just going to say, I learned that it's good to accept everybody's differences. <laughs> Where's your your turn for your autobiography? Let's go. Come on now. Uh, I think that it's really interesting for me to sit here with the three of you having met you when you were much younger and to watch you or listen to you share your experiences as an adult and learning about how intersectionality the way that I interact with you now changes like with how you've changed right like I need to learn more about how you function in the world as adults based on all the things that you've learned and are learning and so you are you always were my greatest teachers and now I feel like I'm just still on that journey of learning so much about you it's like they went from little kids tugging on each other like hey hey listen to this to now our like equal platform and it's like whoa 
it is a little weird like we're our own beings <laughs> it's awesome i love it because you're not really that different than you were when you were younger but you are we have more more i don't know like we're more experienced and our words are more respected and listened to as we get older yeah yeah and i i love that you always seem to hold space for me to learn too which i really value because i really don't know i'm always learning right like like i'm always learning, learning about intersectionality that's something that's going to always be something that's going to be different with every person i meet that's and, interesting yeah and the words of in the words of my granddad if you stop learning things every day you've given up on true life because you have to learn there you never stop learning so if you stop learning you're ignoring it or you're purposely not listening you know what i love about working with young like youth in particular is because they are in a space where they think they don't know and they know so much more than they realize. And so there's almost like an ability to learn from them. You are actually the safe person to ask, right? Like in so many ways because it's changing in your generation. And I think that youth just really have, a, a lot of youth anyway, have this like unfiltered, I don't want to say unfiltered. Um, we don't, we, I say we, I'm an adult now, but like when we were younger, we didn't have to worry as much about being held to our, like the thought behind our words. We're a kid, so you can go, oh, well, completely blunt. Oh, they're a kid, it's fine. But like you mentioned, kids are like younger and youth are so insecure and unsure about what they know. And that's why I, whenever like I went from being the baby trans to now I'm like the elder trans to people here in town. So like the first thing that I'm, I let them know is if you think you know something about yourself, it's a, it's like a 99% chance you do. And you vocalize it if you are in a safe place to do so. Cause like, oh, I'm unsure. Cause I'm just a kid. Kids are shaping the world. The kids are the future. So don't be like, oh, I'm just a kid. Cause one day you're going to be the adults running the world. Is that what you would tell you would know how to go through life? And I wake up every day and I'm like, oh, gotta get back on the horse. <laughs> and it's like, and especially for like us, uh, really, and I, is that we came into adulthood in a freaking pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, I got like a two year fake trial of adulthood. I'm like, what am I doing? Help. Well, I feel like I'm still 17. I, I think I'm still 17. Like so the there. pandemic just felt like a, a pause, and then all of a sudden I was all of a sudden having to pay taxes. Like I turned yeah. yeah I turned 18 two days after the first lockdown in Canada. We locked down on St. Patrick's Day 2020. I turned 19. I turned 18 March 19th 2020. And then the next time I was able to do anything out of my house, I I was 20 and life did not stop even though it did like you're still expected okay learn how to do this learn how to do that da, 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 da. you're an adult like why don't you know this by now because i was in a room for two years because of the covid i think i don't know i think i guess i just want to emphasize um how important it is to believe other people um and their experiences and their knowledge because we all view the world through different lenses and we have all gone through the world and have had very different experiences. 
So just because something doesn't feel true to you doesn't mean that it's not true. Like two truths can exist at the same time. And so, yeah, it's um, it's like important to. And everyone takes different time to acknowledge and process. The yeah, we're all at different speeds. Thanks everyone for tuning into this episode of the Beaguskan podcast. If you'd like to learn more about BiPan Magazine, the link is available in the show notes, along with a link to our podcast website, where you can reach out and if you have a story to share, connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. We also ask that you share with friends, family, acquaintances, any social media following you have, because every little bit helps when it comes to youth voices being heard.